the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. In this episode, we are looking at a class study in Hungary with Sunset and being hungry to study in class. Book smart. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver chat to us about their latest film. I'm Jake Cunningham and joining my class of conversation for this week from the very top of the class, we have Kelly Powell and returning special guest, Anna Murray. Hello. Hi. And sat at the back... But still, maybe getting a sticker for showing up. <laughs> it's Sam Howlett. Hello. How are you doing? Good, good, good. good yeah. yeah. Present. Present. Nice, yeah. nice, very good. Uh, before we get to Booksmart, uh, which is already being touted as one of the best new releases of 2019 so far, uh, we will first take a, a quite beautiful sun-drenched sojourn to Budapest, uh, at least for the first hour or so as we talk about Sunset, uh, which is the new film from the director of the Oscar-winning Son of Saul. Sam, can you tell us a little bit more about this film? I certainly can. So as you said, this is Laszlo Nemez's follow-up to his Oscar-winning Son of Saul. This time we are set in the early 1900s in Budapest, where our lead, uh, Iris, returns to work as a, a milliner, a, a hat maker at her parents' prestigious uh, hat making company. But while there, she finds out she had a brother and the rest of the film, you follow her along as she figures out the mystery of this mysterious brother while in the background a sort of growing violent threat looms. Yeah, um, it's a big film. It's, it's a very uh, big film. Coming off the back of Son of Saul, he's made a two and a half hour long pretty 
slow Hungarian mm. drama, uh, a lot of the time about hats as well. Uh, so perhaps to some that may be a tough sell. Perhaps. But perhaps. <laughs> um, obviously not to us. Obviously we, we jump to this straight away because it's from the director of uh, Son of Saul. Um, Ayana, how do you think that coming off the back of a film like that, uh, Son of Saul obviously grappling with uh, the Holocaust, it's uh, Nemesis's first film as well. Where do you go from there? What does that film do? What do you take with it onto your next one? What do you leave behind? It's kind of hard to jump off of Son of Saul because it's so ambitious and dark and it grapples with these really like tough themes. But I think with Sunset, he's gone even bigger and more sprawling than Son of Saul. We're like, I guess Son of Saul is quite contained, even though it's, um, you know, tough uh, tackling with these things. There is a grander scope to Sunset, and I think it works in his favor, really. Yeah, I think part of what Son of Saul got sold on was this idea of claustrophobia and yeah. tightness of frame and point of view. Um, and he does let himself loose a bit. I mean, there's a lot of that same style of cinematography, um, that kind of spectral floating feeling as we follow Iris, whether that's through a department store or through a battle zone. Yeah. Um, and we can see that mimicry that he's got this way of approaching framing that he likes. Um but I think this was his opportunity to do something more classical. Uh, it, it feels like it's drawing stuff from Barry Lyndon mm. at times mixed with Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice comparison with Son of Saul, technically. So they both have this very shallow focus and they're following around a central character who's in every scene, every shot, every frame of the film. And with Son of Saul, the camera was following Saul around a concentration camp and the horrors of the concentration camp were sort of blurred out in the background. I guess the point was that if you're going to depict the Holocaust on screen, you shouldn't revel in it. You shouldn't show it in too much detail. It should be in the background, this sort of chaotic thing on the horizon. Well, I think I think what he's, what he's concerned with is perspective yeah. um, and subjectivity. Uh, and definitely... Uh, he's 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 interested in, in exploring. I think the human experience through cinema in a in a very interesting way. I mean, at times it's it's a bit much. Like you can you 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 get into the world of it does submerge you. Mm. You know, you're you're emerged in this world that Iris is sort of navigating, and we as the viewer go along with her. You know, we don't know we're discovering things as as she is. Um, but at times it is kind of like, oh, just like I want to see what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I think that's on purpose. And he wants <clears throat> he talks a lot about like layers, layering mm. the the world, um, and and you kind of have to use your imagination because there are things happening in the background that you don't focus on, but yeah. they're there, you know. Yeah. And what whilst in Son of Saul, the way that it's uh, composed in a way protects us as viewers from the horrors at yeah. the edge of frame. Uh, I occasionally felt, because this is so beautifully uh, executed as a piece of production design as well, that I thought, what am I missing by the camera not being wider by just get, stepping back a bit? What, like, just adjust the focus a little bit so yeah, you can like see the. What set has been built? Yeah. Because um, it's vast. It yeah. must have been an incredible set. Yeah. There's yeah. such like an intense subjectivity to it like there's this scene where there's like a massive parade and I feel like if it was another movie that would be like the main feature of the film but in sunset the parade's just an afterthought and you're 
just stuck with uh, Iris's perspective. Yeah. So, um, well, in a yeah. way, it feels like like this could have been a street level film happening during a, a similar event to like that of Les Mis or something. Mm. Um, that like is obviously quite operatic and grand and huge. Yeah. And you see all of that. Um, whereas this is that. Um, That's just in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And literally in the background. Mm. You can't really see it. <laughs> no. um, but when you do get those moments where the film um, does just give you some reprieve from the darkness and uh, like the, the weight of the investigation mm. that Iris has. And literally, this can just be a window opening. But in those moments, it, it feels like a breath of fresh air. And it, it, well, it is. Yeah. And a window opens and you see natural light come through. It's quite a dark film, even during the day. You almost think it's nighttime because so much of it happens inside. Um, and so for the first half an hour, it's all pretty much like that. And then she goes into a park to meet like most of the people that are celebrating the 30 years of this hat company. Yeah. Um, and I'm not normally a sucker for this period stuff kind of thing. But maybe because it was because it was so subjective, because it was so tight when the film opened up like that. And, you, and I was just thinking, God, those hats, they, <laughs> they do look good. Uh, but then obviously the dresses and the setting and it's shot on 35 mil and it, it looks incredible. Um, and for those moments, I can totally see why uh, this film was taken on a 35 millimeter tour around yeah. the country to get people to see as much as as they can in this way. Um, if you are interested, there are actually maybe a few dates available for that tour at the time of when you're listening. Um, so do try and get to that if you can. Going back to that celluloid uh, feeling, I quite liked that this didn't have that cine bro Nolan feeling to shooting on the film. It doesn't like brag about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He's. I think he's. Um, he, I've, I've been listening to a lot of his interviews. <laughs> but he 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 he's very con- uh, concerned with um, text the texture of film and and what that means for an audience and the audience's experience with that. Um, and yeah, it's not for uh, any kind of flashy purposes. It's 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 he wants to get back to that feeling, you know, and the way that it's shot, the way that we navigate the world, it does kind of feel like you are exploring you know turn of the century mm. <laughs> you know hungary budapest uh, at the at the almost end of the austro-hungarian empire and you you don't know what quite what is on the horizon you know and i think film lends itself to that 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 immersive feeling yeah um i would say i think the film is uh, at its best in its first half when it's all set setting up when it's mm. putting its players on the board and you're not quite sure how they're all going to come together um and then there's this quite impressive central conflict right at the middle of the film that happens at a countess's house um and that's where you finally kind of have the reveal mm. of the the revolutionaries i uh, suppose would be yeah. called gang and the uh, middle and upper class that they're against uh, and after that it all it becomes a bit more Final act of lame is, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but prior to that, I I love this uh, kind of quiet, subdued family drama mystery yeah. uh, noir feeling at times. I think this is a far more plot-driven film than Son of Saul. Son of Saul, funnily, both films are about a central character looking for a family member, um, whereas Son of Saul. It's more of a vague idea of him looking for his son to the point where you're not even sure if there really is a son. It's more of a conceptual search, whereas this is very much, where is my brother? Who is my brother? What's the mystery? And it's it's very, very it's more plot driven than I expected this kind of film to be. 
And there is perhaps a bit too many times where she asks a question, is given a vague answer, wanders off, someone asks her where she's going, is asked to go back. That happens quite a lot. It's a yeah, bit it, repetitive. It could do with that, that rom-com sense. trope uh, <laughs> of just like, if we just had a chat for five minutes, clean <laughs> everything up. Yeah. yeah. We could we could trim this down to a tight 70. <laughs> but I think that works in the way that it aligns you with her, that you're discovering things as she is. Yeah. All right. Um, so that is Sunset. Uh, perhaps one for, well, for fans of Son of Saul, definitely, uh, who wanted to check out what the director does next. Um, but in terms of scale and feel, it's almost Dickensian at times. So maybe one for mm. the, the Great Expectations fans <laughs> out there. But in a way, you could you could even slip this into your Downton Abbey group. I don't believe you could. It's a period drama. Yeah. It's a costume period drama. And it doesn't, it doesn't pretend it's not. Yeah. And I can't overstate. How good the hats look. <laughs> <laughs> now it is time for us to uh, move from a two and a half hour long Hungarian pre-war drama film onto a 2019 teen comedy, uh, which is a struggle for any conversational segue. But as the sun sets on our first discussion, we must turn a page onto a new book. Smart. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Booksmart is about Amy and Molly. Uh, they're played by Caitlin Diva and Beanie Feldstein. Their high school plan was to study hard, don't slack off, get into a good college. Uh, that's until they discover that their hard partying classmates uh, are also bound for the Ivy League as well. Uh, so putting aside their ring binders, they commit to spending the last night of high school experiencing the debauched life they so precariously avoided. Uh, this is actor Olivia Wilde's directorial debut that rewrites and celebrates the cliches of the teen movie. Uh, Iona, you were lucky enough to talk to Beanie and Caitlin uh, about this, which we'll play in just a second. Uh, but you could just give us a quick background on Booksmart and the team involved. Yeah, like you said, this is the directorial debut of Olivia Wilde. You might know her as an actress first. Um, she was in movies like Her and Drinking Buddies. Um, so uh, for her first feature as a director, she's gone and played around with the teen movie. Um, the uh, book Smart stars Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver. Um, they're both kind of up-and-coming actresses. Beanie Feldstein, you'll probably know her from Lady Bird, and Caitlin Deaver... Um, She's been in a couple of movies. Last year she was in The Front Runner and Beautiful Boy, but this is their first leading role for both of them. So I talked to them about the challenges and the exciting aspects of that and also kind of the what's the fun in, in playing women who are both smart and funny. Caitlin Deaver, Beanie Feldstein, welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having thanks for us. <laughs> um, so I'd just like to jump straight into talking about your characters. Um, what I love about Molly and Amy is that, you know, they're smart and driven and ambitious, but they're also extremely funny. And usually those concepts are kind of mutually exclusive. Um, so was that a fun thing for you in terms of taking these genre tropes and character tropes and playing around with them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, when, when I first read the script, I read this script about four years ago. Um, and immediately fell in love with the idea of getting to lead a, a comedy as a young woman with with Beanie here. Um, I think it it's such it's sad, but it's so rare. It's it doesn't scripts like this don't come around that often. Um, a script that's this good, and also the fact that it was a comedy and about a strong female friendship, yeah. and that. Um, 
you know, I was going to get to play a queer character where there's no coming out scene. Um, that was a huge deal to me, too. Yeah. <clears throat> I think not only are smart women not given the space to be funny, but they're also not given the space to be, like, gross and silly and weird and wacky in addition to, like, driven and type A and motivated. And so what I love so much about Molly and her love for Amy is that you get to see this this girl who is very different at school where she has sort of this armor on and is very curt and short with people and doesn't give them the space to get to know her versus when you're she's alone with Amy you see how like wacky and kind of gross and silly she is and that's so true of so many women I know um I think the most driven passionate talented people I know are also the silliest and the warmest and the most thoughtful and caring and you're right that those usually are your one or the other, especially for yeah. women, especially for young women on on screen. So it was so exciting. And also not just one of those characters, but two of them. And they're never competitive with one another. And that was so exciting to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of your first major leading role for both of you. Yeah. Was yeah. that exciting? Was that terrifying? <laughs> it's so exciting. Yeah. It's it's also terrifying. Both. All <laughs> I was gonna say. It's, it's both all at once. Um, I was so honored to be doing it with Caitlin, too, yeah. because when one of us got scared, the other one was there t- to booster each other up. Yeah, it was... It, I think we had never... The, the most daunting thing for, for me, and I think you too, but, like, looking at a script and, like, you're literally on every single page and you're in every single scene and and uh you know it would require a lot of like memorization and a lot of preparation um that was super daunting but the fact that Beanie and I both shared equal passion for these two girls and their friendship um and for we you know we we look up to Olivia so much much. she is literally (laughs) everything to us um, and so the fact that we knew that going in and we were both on equal playing fields, we knew going into it, we were like, okay, whatever we have to do in order to make um, these two girls shine on screen, um, we were willing to do it. Yeah. So we lived together um, during rehearsal and prep and most of the, uh, all of the shoot, which yeah. was made all the difference because we were supposed to, you know, have this friendship that these two girls really, really know each other so well. They know each other better than their parents do. So, um, yeah, and, and we, we just really wanted to nail that and get yeah. that down. It's so interesting because it's, like, in part the work that you do on screen and in part the work you do off screen. Um, and I learned so much from working with Saoirse Ronan and being the supporting character in her film. Um, and I was so moved by the energy and the love and the care she took for me and I was so new when I did that movie that the fact that Caitlin and I were given the opportunity together to maybe be that for someone else was incredibly moving and not something that we took lightly at all and then it was kind of cool the timing worked out pretty crazy because it was it was we we led this film together and then then we we went off did stuff by ourselves where we were leading and so it was always like I would always think like okay would do this in the situation or like yeah. I learned that so much from her so you take was, so much with you yeah. yeah it was wonderful um you've worked with um actors who are also directors uh, multiple times throughout both of your careers what is the kind of difference uh, with your relationship with a director when they are also an actor 
Well, with Olivia specifically, uh, you've worked with more actor turned directors. Um, I I feel like I've I've worked with like a lot of really seasoned um, like directors, but they've never acted before. And I think Olivia was one of the first. Actually, Lynn Shelton was actually um, a good example. She's an amazing director. <laughs> She's so good. Um, but I think. When you're an actor, you know, you, you kind of just have a, you, you get to take little pieces. I know I, at me, for, at being an actor, I've, I've taken so much yeah. from every set that I've been on, but Olivia was, um, was able to kind of create the best set possible for an actor, which was, which was really cool. Yeah. And she knew how to make everyone feel comfortable. Absolutely. I think you, you get the benefit of not only working with this incredible person who is knowledgeable and collaborative in their own way, but you're also working with everyone they've worked with. Yeah. Um, so like with Olivia, it was like, oh, we're also working with, you know, little bits of Spike Jones and Scorsese and Reed Moreno and all these incredible people. And um, she brought their expertise with her. So that was really special. Okay. Uh, that's all I have time for. So oh, thank you so, so nice much. so nice to meet you. Thank you, Beanie and Caitlin. So let us delve into Booksmart. Uh, I think let's start at the very opening. Uh, there is high energy, loud music, dancing, humor. Uh, and what do we get in this opening that is telling us we're expecting something new out of this teen comedy genre? Well, I think it, it's it's setting the tone, right, for the rest of the film. It's it's introducing these characters and their, and their personalities um, and it's it's making use of music in an interesting way, which it does to, to kinds of overusers in the film, which I'm sure we'll t- talk about. But yeah, it's it kind of sets up who these guys are and and what their relationship is to each other, um, and just how they sort of <laughs> what they what what they're like in this world. Yeah, um, something that I I really liked about it because like we, we know the film is called Booksmart and it's about these girls that are are smart and the clever people in their classes but it starts with and you realize oh they're confident as well mm. like they 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 know themselves yeah. and that was actually just straight away a highlight for me cuz that character in pretty much every other teen film will be the nerd mm-hmm. um, yeah this film doesn't doesn't stereotype which which I really like about it you mm. know it doesn't stick to those tropes of that like the the old teen movie that we're all used to. Um, yeah. It sort of, yeah, it, it plays it plays with the, that in, a, in an interesting way. Well, you release a teen movie these days and it's inevitably going to be compared to the films of John Hughes. Um, like I think, like, it, well, you, you can release a Spider-Man film and people are going to compare it to the <laughs> yeah, John Hughes. Apparently. Anything that has a high school in any shot of the yeah. film. It's like, oh, it's like a John Hughes movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this has no desire to be that. No, this is so like as much as I love the Jump Street films, they are kind of relentlessly referencing other films. And uh, this one has no desire to do that at all. This is very much its own thing. It's not there's I don't think there's any reference to another film at all in this film. Like even like Superbad, uh, I love Superbad and this is going to be compared to Superbad a lot. And this very much is the female Superbad in a way, but I think this is even further removed from teen genre than Superbad was because Superbad I think has a, there's a little bit of that in Superbad oh yeah yeah definitely yeah. this I think is completely its own thing it's really sincere really genuine but also really broadly comedic throughout yeah. and th- the comedy is really broad in this film as well which I really liked it's not trying to be smarter no. than it needs to be no um, 
and it introduces us to these cliches that you think it's going to deal yeah. with like uh, the school the jocks it's the end of term there's one last party there's the rich kid there's the yeah. posh one um, but actually introduces them only to like not necessarily subvert them like yeah, it's not it's trying not... to be super clever all, about all like what mean you're girls. expecting it's not like there's not a voiceover going oh, okay these are the jocks yeah. these are the you know there's none of the, they don't call them that yeah yeah and and it does just play around with those characters like the rich one uh is actually like really funny and is a well-rounded character um shout out to Skyler Kazondo who is so good <laughs> oh like this kid is so funny uh he made me cry there is a scene <laughs> of him in a car that killed me um and yeah as much as Beanie and Caitlin are amazing. I would have to say that Scarlett Cazondo is the best thing in this film. <laughs> He's so good. Um, but uh, actually, well, whilst we're on him, um, let's talk about the supporting cast on here. Um, we've got a whole host of great uh, players. Billy Lord as Gigi, who's kind of just a... Indescribable. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, in a weird way, kind of like... Um, I mentioned the night before in a bit, but Michael Shannon's character in that film of just this mysterious character that just turns up everywhere. Mm. You don't follow whatever <laughs> night they've had, you know it's wilder than the one that we've seen, <laughs> but they seem to be following along as well. And she's just a great bit of wild, mad comic relief um, going throughout the film. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the first leading role for both of them, and I think they really like take it in their stride. And what I love about them is that their chemistry is just so natural. And actually, when they were filming the movie, um, Olivia made them both move in with each other during filming so they could build that relationship. So I think you genuinely get the sense that they are best friends because they do have that vibe that, you know, they do really care and love each other. And they they, they really do hold it, hold it, or they, they, they carry this movie. Um, yeah, and it is as... Ayana said it's based on the strength of that relationship. Um, and they're super funny and they play off each other in very cool ways. Mm. And Be- Beanie Feldstein, who is Jonah Hill's sister, I think a lot of people would think that this is kind of stunt casting. You make the female super bad and cast Jonah Hill's sister. But she she's my f- favorite thing in the film. Yeah. I think there's a scene where she finds out what happens with a certain stuffed panda bear. And her... <laughs> Everything about her performance in that scene is so funny and so well-timed and well-pitched. It's incredible. and She's yeah. so good throughout the whole film. Well, and I think that goes back to making them live together. You yeah. get to know each other's rhythms yeah. and you get to know each other's tone of voice. And so you're able to bounce off of that as well. Something that like NASA will do when they're putting together a team that they can figure out even the tone of voice, whether when someone says an alert, what kind of alert it is. Mm. And they're just bouncing off each other so well. Um, yeah, that their chemistry is amazing, um, and the film looks really good as well. Uh, we recently had Game Night come out, which was actually a big American comedy that looked really good. Uh, I recently watched another Netflix comedy that came out in the last few days that just looked flat and bland, and it feels like the technical side of it wasn't part of it. It was just thought it was just, right, let's just film these characters and see what happens, whereas this feels like it's really been technically thought about. We'll get into the music as well. This feels a total feat of construction from Olivia Wilde. It's very stylized um, in a good way. Sometimes it can be a bit much, but um, 
but yeah, she's definitely thought about the placement of the camera, what, and and using that in the jokes as well. It's very much part of the comedy, which is very, it's a dynamic film. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, I I enjoyed it a lot. Well, the, the DP is a guy called Jason McCormack, who's done a lot of uh, done small features, but a lot of music videos as well. You know the um, the Kanye West video with the the blocky lads. Can't remember what it's called. They're like wide boys in a corridor. Um, blocky lads, <laughs> wide boys. Uh, they, he did that as well. Okay. Um, but that's because I think I've mentioned that because this feels like a music video at times. Yeah, and I think modern teen comedies often do, but I think this does in a slightly more interesting way than the other ones do. It made me think of eighth grade and how it uses the camera to like heighten a joke and how you know when you're a teenager everything feels super dramatic even though it doesn't mean anything in a larger sense like um there's a part where uh beanie's character finds out that this girl she doesn't think highly of is going to the same ivy league college as her and he uses this really extreme dolly zoom (laughs) and um you know it just really like heightens everything all of her feelings and how you know, even though it's inconsequential in the long term, right now it's everything. Yeah, um, and the the music goes a long way in, in height, heightening that dynamism that you mentioned, Kelly. Uh, it it for me goes on too much. There is so many needle drops in this film, um, <laughs> and really, it's like overwhelming at times. It makes for a killer Spotify playlist. There's about for sure. thirty songs in yeah. the Spotify so playlist, um, <laughs> and like. I'm up for some Lizzo and LCD sound system. Great, but maybe give them some time to breathe and like, because some of them will last for like 15 seconds mm. and then it's done. Yeah. Um, you may leave the film, although it's very good, slightly with a headache. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So that is Booksmart, and that's uh, out this week. And definitely ones we we've mentioned a whole host of films there, but for super bad fans, Ladybird fans, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do go and check that one out for sure. Um, but if you don't fancy heading to the cinema, you can always stay at home, watch something on demand. Sam, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's on home cinema? So as well as Sunset, which you can watch on Curzon Home Cinema, we've also got Burning, which we've discussed on the show before and is a lot of people's number one film of the year so far. Stephen Yun stands, Unite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And Destroyer as well, the Nicole Kidman uh, detective thriller, which was kind of very much underseen at the box office, I think. Yeah. Uh, went, you know, a lot of people thought maybe she'll get an Oscar nomination, but it didn't really pick up any any steam, any traction. But it is a really good film. And we have an episode on that as well. Yeah. Exactly. It, so, in the archives. Toby Kebbell's in it, definitely not wearing a wig <laughs> at all. No, I don't think so. No, no. That's his real hair. All right. Um, if you've got any thoughts on Sunset or Booksmart, do let us know by emailing podcast at curzon.com. Would love to hear your thoughts. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, you can subscribe uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your pods. Uh, whilst you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow Sam on Twitter. At Sam Howlett underscore one. Uh, Kelly, you're over there at... KS underscore Powell. Ayana. Um, Ayana Murray. And I'm Jake H. Cunningham. Thank you so much for listening. Farewell. Hold up. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 